Hey everybody, welcome or welcome back to the Introverted Black Mom Podcast. I'm your host, Shalia. Thank you for tuning in this week. Now this week we have a special guest. We have author and literacy advocate, Maya Smart. Maya has come on this week and she is going to give us introverted parents a few tips about how we can use our unique superpowers to share with kids the love of reading. Also, Maya has recently published a book and it's titled Reading for Our Lives, A Literacy Action Plan from Birth to Six. So with all her tips, she is going to help us realize and understand how we can help our children thrive as students, workers, and citizens, and full participants in their future. Let's get right into it. All right, today we have guest Maya Smart. Maya is a literacy advocate for parents and educators as well as an author. So today Maya's here to shed a little light on how introverted parents, we can kind of use our unique superpowers to share with kids our love of reading. Welcome, Maya. Thank you so much for having me. Excited to chat today. Thank you for coming on. So I want to hop right into the background of you being a literacy advocate. So I want to know, when did you get started? How long have you been in the profession? Who or what inspired you to get into literacy? I was named after Maya Angelou. So I think I always, as soon as I knew who I was named after, writing and books and literature were always on my radar. So I was a big book lover and reader myself because of my parents. And then when I had my daughter, I wanted her to love books and reading as well. So that kind of started me down the path of investigating, well, what does it really take to raise a reader? Oh, that is so amazing. Oh, I'm jealous. You get to be named after somebody so influential, Maya Angelou. I think that's dope because your name kind of like solidified your path in life. I like that. Or at least you made it to match your name. (laughs) Yes. And then my husband and I named our daughter Zora after Zora Neale Hurston. Zora Neale Hurston. Oh my God. I wish we were that creative. We weren't. (laughs) Oh man. (laughs) But every name, every name has a story, whether or not you're named after a writer or an author. And then it's just sort of the, the meaning that our parents tell us is in the name and then the meaning we create for ourselves as we get older. Absolutely. But that's, I like that. All right. So I wanted to get more into reading. So in my personal life, I enjoy reading. My daughter does. She is a preschooler and that's like one of our favorite things to do together, right? And I was always into reading when I was a child. So I wanted to know for other parents out there listening, how do you think reading really helps children to thrive? Reading is is critically important for children's development. We know that when they're older, they'll need to be strong readers in order to navigate all of the information that comes their way, like separating fact from fiction in the news and understanding the legislation you're asked to vote for, and even simple things like knowing what you're agreeing to when you add certain apps to your phone and all these different documents and legal agreements and contracts that are flowing our way. So from a big picture, I think a higher and higher level of literacy is required to navigate life. And I think that what parents don't realize is that it really does start very early. So a lot of the things that you're doing with babies and toddlers will affect their 
reading and pre-reading when they're preschoolers and in elementary school. I'm glad you mentioned that about just different ways and the reasons why we need to learn how to read. I can remember being very young and my parents were, we were excited about reading and then my mom would make it fun. Like we would do little games if we were taking a bus that day. Okay, can you read the street sign? Can you read all these words that are on the bus? And another thing we like to do is we cooked a lot with my mom. So she even explained, she's like, um, remember you said you were nervous about, I don't know why I remember this conversation from so many years ago. I was like nervous about math. I was a really strong reader, but I was nervous about math. And she was like, well, you helped me with all these recipes. When we read the recipe books, aren't you reading and doing math? And then just from her, let me know, like all the everyday things we did, math or reading didn't have to be as scary as I imagined it to be. Absolutely. And there is a point in many schools where math, a lot of the math that kids are assessed on are kind of word problems. So reading definitely, reading instructions, even understanding what's asked of you in school. So reading is, it's everywhere. Absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. But we don't know a lot about how it really unfolds in the life of a child and what contributes to it. And so often parents think, that you raise readers by reading to kids. And that's certainly a big part of the equation, Mm -hmm. but there are also more specific skills like discerning the sounds within words or recognizing letter shapes and sounds and all of those things. So there are kind of these little pieces that add up to reading that you can start working on with kids long before they can comprehend the print on a page. Yeah. Uh, tell us, uh, as, as we're talking, feel free to throw out whatever uh, tips you need. When you when you were mentioned that, that brought me to um, work I've done professionally. I'm not a teacher. I guess I would consider myself an educator. My background, I'm actually a social worker, but most of my work has been in schools working with like kindergarten up to 12th grade. But we would have these um, programs, and I'm sure you've heard about it with you being um having a background in literacy is the read by fourth program. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I remember I've had a lot of experience with running after school and summer camp programs. And we would partner with like the local libraries and different organizations and read by fourth was a big part of our uh, programming. So all those like kindergartners and third graders, we would get books in. We would have um, a lot of um, literacy coaches come in So I think that was a a big part. That was one of my favorite things. I know that the parents in our programs were really appreciative because they would come in and they would rave about once they got these um, literacy coaches, how much better the children were doing at home and getting excited about reading. So I love anything that has to do with education and literacy. So I'm thrilled to have you, trust me. And I got my four-year-old, so I'm taking notes for how I can continue (laughs) to get her into it and she really likes reading so that's good she's a strong reader so far oh that's wonderful yes read by fourth is a wonderful program and the idea as i understand it is that kids by fourth grade you want to have a certain foundation in reading so that you're able to take advantage of all of the classroom instruction that you're getting in other subjects like science social studies history and all the things so people often think of kindergarten through third grade as learning to read Mm -hmm. And then fourth grade and beyond as reading to learn. And the sort of the the tragedy of school disruptions and teacher shortages and different challenges we've had in schools is that through COVID is that a lot of kids are 
even further behind. So a lot of kids yes. were already struggling entering kindergarten, not knowing many letter names and some of those um, metrics we look for as an indicator of their readiness to read. Yes. And now there are kids entering second grade without knowing any letter names and some of these things just because school was remote or absent and then parents didn't know what they needed to do to support kids. Absolutely. I'm so glad you brought that up because I recently ended a position once the school year ended. I worked for about six months with that very population. I ended up taking a part-time job in one of the um, local school districts. I'm in Philadelphia, by the way. And these were a group of second graders. And I hadn't even realized that this was their first time in school because they were not able to do it, you know, in person because of COVID. And they needed an extra pair of hands to work specifically with literacy because they were severely behind. We're talking not being able to identify the alphabet lots of them, um, barely knowing how to write their names, not being able to hold the pencil correctly because you forget. And I kept forgetting, you learn these things in preschool or kindergarten and getting those foundation skills down and they just didn't have them. So yeah, I was hired to come in and I was able to do a lot of work with that. But it was amazing to see they struggled so hard. And like you said, it was pretty much because of COVID and parents are like just trying to keep it together. And maybe after work, you may not know how to be an educator on top of all your other responsibilities, or maybe you didn't have time to. So right. it, it's been tough. The things I've seen in schools. Yes. You know, major, major hardship within schools with teachers. And then as you mentioned, kids coming in behind and there are yeah. so many parents who could have taught their kids um, some of the letters or taught them to write their name or hold a pencil, but they yeah. just didn't think of that as, as part of their work as parents. Yeah. And they think, you know, the school will take care of it or you're right. stressed out trying to figure out how to pay your bills and Absolutely. keep the lights on. <laughs> and right. So things. you may prioritize like I have enough energy to keep a roof over our heads. I may not be thinking about pencil holding or, or there were a few students who couldn't yet properly cut and paste in second grade. So even the handling of scissors. And I'm like, it was very interesting to be there and to be literally introducing the idea of holding scissors when you walk with them, holding scissors to cut. Like they just did not know. It was completely starting from scratch. Like they were in the, in preschool. Yeah. yeah. And, and what people, what parents don't realize about school is teachers are trained kind of within a certain grade range and the higher the grade level, the teacher doesn't, the fifth grade teacher didn't know that they needed to know how to teach somebody how to hold a pencil on some of these other basic skills. And so they're trying to teach the subject matter of their grade level and kids, kids are not there. So it's creating, it will continue to create challenges over time. Yeah. And so it's important for parents to know what things they can teach because those second graders, they still need to know the letters. They still need to learn to write their name and the pencil. So if a parent at any point, wherever you are, whatever age or stage your child is in, if you can identify what they need and do your best to deliver it, it's a extraordinary gift to your child. It's also a gift to that classroom teacher because that's one less student that they have to teach to hold scissors or whatever the skill is. So in the book, I start with, um, just from birth, like things you can even yes. do with babies to give parents just those practical insights. So with the little, little ones, I advocate talking and recognizing that it's a dialogue and a conversation even before they can speak words back to you. 
Because okay. some parents will think, oh, this little, you know, she's just a lump. She doesn't understand what I'm saying. I don't need <laughs> yeah. to talk talk to this baby. But there's so much rapid brain growth and development that happens from birth to three years old. And the the way that that learning and growth happens for the baby is through loving interactions with the caregiver. So it's those experiences they have in your arms when you're responding to them and looking at where they're looking and trying to understand what they're pointing to and the sensory experiences when they have the little books that they can crumple and (laughs) look in the mirror in the book and all those things. So it's hard for us as adults (laughs) to recognize how much babies are soaking in from all their experiences. But when we speak to them, we're introducing vocabulary. When we pause and wait for their response and they coo or babble or whatever they give us, when we respond to that as if they were, it was a sentence that we understood, it prompts them to communicate more. And so there's just a ton of research that shows that when parents are talking to the child and Uh treating those coos and babbles as response and kind of keeping the back and forth turn taking going, that that really builds their brains and contributes to them having a higher IQ and bigger vocabulary and all these other important things down the road. I guess humble brag to me, I love that you said that because it kind of like affirms. I remember my kid, she wasn't yet one. And anyway, a neighbor I've known for years, she, you know, first time seeing her, she picked her up and she started talking to her. At this point, the kid is still doing a babbling. And she said to me, she's like, oh, Shalia, I can tell that you talk to her. And I'm like, huh, this I, this is my first and only <laughs> kid, so I don't know these things. Read, reading things like what you said in articles is different than when you're actually implementing them. And it was just something I was doing. And she's like, yeah, I can tell that you talk to her. And I'm like, you can tell that I talk to her. She's like, yeah, every time I'm saying something, she's looking directly in my mouth. She's waiting. And then she starts to talk. So I, it just... It made me think of that. So I'm I'm glad to hear a professional say that I had been on the right <laughs> path to doing this stuff. Okay. Very good. Absolutely. And okay. then for, for introverted parents, sometimes you're not a big talker yourself, mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of in social <laughs> settings or with people. But if you can remember that that conversation with the little one, one-on-one is just a huge learning opportunity. Yeah. That, that's wonderful. And then with book reading, people say, I don't know, why do I, should I read this baby? They don't understand. It's the the same principle, like interacting with the book, seeing you turn pages. Sometimes the baby will try to grab the book, throw the book, chew on the book, do all that stuff. That is just getting them familiar and comfortable with books and reading. And as you're saying those words, if you pause, ask questions, engage around the book, it just gives you something to talk about. (laughs) Absolutely. That is, I'm thrilled. I need to give myself (laughs) two pats in the back. I can't take all the credit because I can honestly say, by me not knowing what to do. I just did what was done with me and my parents. We were big on reading. So that was a part of the things we did. But yeah, asking those questions, I'm like, oh, what shape do you see? Once they're able to identify shapes, what color? She may not know what I was talking about, but I could, you know, get her to engage more if I was like, do you, what's, how many squares do you see on this? Even if the book wasn't necessarily, you know, a book titled or related to shapes. But I noticed that that helped her. Sometimes I could get her attention and other times it's like you said, she was just like, this is something new to chew on. Let me eat this book. But <laughs> she got used to holding it. Um, she learned how to hold it correctly instead of upside down after a while. So it was good. Yeah. And those are all important skills that some some kids enter elementary school and they don't know that the text goes from left to right on the page or from top to bottom or how the pages work. Yeah. So all those are valuable lessons. And parents, mm-hmm. when they say, well, she doesn't understand, it's not like all of a sudden 
like on day 75, the baby doesn't understand that day 76, <laughs> they understand. It's like a process. Yeah. <laughs> and like the understanding of the words and the concepts and all the things that you're sharing, that understanding grows over time through those interactions, through repetition. Mm-hmm. So I tell everybody, just start early because you don't know what day they'll understand. Yeah. <laughs> and I, they'll understand I, yeah. sooner if you've been talking. <laughs> Absolutely. That that makes a lot of sense, which brings me to another thought I just had. Um, I remember a family member of mine joking one time when I was maybe speaking or reading to my daughter, like, look at you, you know, like she understands. And I remember just thinking like, well, yeah, I feel like give her as much information as I can give her and she'll take what she needs. You know, like I wasn't worried about like going over her head or being too quote unquote too advanced for her because it's just like whatever she understands, she'll keep. And whatever she doesn't, it's all right. But I would rather her know more if that's possible than me to be holding back because I'm not in her brain. Who am I to say what she can grasp at this point? And I noticed by giving it this information, she was grasping concepts way sooner than I thought she would be able to. So I was glad we just kept on. Me and my husband, we were just talking, whatever we would talk about. Next thing you know, she was babbling or could actually complete (laughs) those sentences and, and say it. And she's been really thriving at reading and comprehension and critical thinking and all that stuff. So that's very happy. Yes. So I'm glad you, you started mentioning about some of the tips from, um, you know, how to raise thriving readers from birth. And I wanted to get, you mentioned an introverted parent. So we know that a lot of us introverted parents, we enjoy maybe a little more structure. Sometimes we need like a quieter activity to do. So my question for you is what advantages do you see introverts having as it relates to encouraging our children to read? I think introverts can be very reflective, you know, so in that quiet time, we can think about our approach to what we're doing and can bring a high level of intention. Mm -hmm. But I think that's a benefit. I also think that, as I mentioned before, sometimes we have to, to push ourselves to to talk more than we ordinarily would. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and a lot of the um, a lot of the things that you need to do are done one on one. So it's kind of a, mat- a matter of like focus and a- attention. And the things that you need to do are simple enough that you can incorporate them into the time you already spend with your child and the things you already do. So you don't need, you know, um, any fancy apps or noisy, yeah. interactive, light up kind of toys like it's very simple lessons that you're delivering so you mentioned your daughter is four so when kids are three or four they're starting to pay more attention to print and so you can teach those letter shapes by just saying you know all letters are made of lines dots and curves Mm -hmm. and if you see something whether it's on a cereal box or a t-shirt you can just oh look there's the letter s s says and you know s curved this way and that way and just sort of as simple as just describing letters and bringing their attention to it and pointing and labeling all that is really valuable so i think and another thing um introverted or more reflective parent Mm -hmm. strength is um observation of your child and their development and journaling so if you take notes and it could be in an app on your phone or in a, a physical journal about some of the things that you're child is doing at certain ages and stages, some of that information, or if you have concerns 
about what you're seeing with your child and you document it in a journal or other reflective space, you can bring that to a pediatrician's appointment or to okay. a parent-teacher conference. So that can be a strength as well, just sort of that observing and, and documenting tendency. I, you know what? I'm glad you brought that up. I didn't even think about that. I know that's true for me, especially in the early years. I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. So I'm documenting everything. I just put it in the notes. <laughs> and then at the doctor's appointments, the pediatrician's like, well, do you have any concerns? Or what have you noticed? I'm like, well, let me run this down. Exhibit A. <laughs> <laughs> but I had all, and she would just laugh. And she was like, you have all the details. But I didn't think about it with just being so detail-oriented, how we would just, we notice it because we're observing so much. And I'm like, I'm documenting this because I don't know what I'm doing. I'm winging this thing. <laughs> okay. Good to know. Another, um, what I want to get into now is you threw it out there about, you said, you uh, said the book. So I would like for you to tell us about your book. I mentioned in the beginning that you're an author in addition to being a literacy advocate. So please tell us about your book. Yeah. So when I got curious about how to raise a reader and how mm -hmm. reading unfolds and what reading looks like at younger and younger ages. I started documenting things initially in a blog, and then it got to a point where I had so much information and so many insights and things that parents didn't know that I felt like it really should be a book. Okay. And so that book came out and it is called Reading for Our Lives, a literacy action plan from birth to six. And it's available on all the major retailers, Barnes and Noble, Amazon Bookshop, all of those. So okay. people can order it. And it really just, it does a couple of things. I chose the title Reading for Our Lives to really emphasize just the urgency of how important reading is because of all those challenges we mentioned earlier that are facing schools with teacher shortages and curriculum challenges and just burnout. Yeah. <laughs> like it's, it's getting harder and harder for teachers to deliver the information that, or the reading instruction that kids need when the needs are so great. <laughs> over right. so many more years of their school career than schools yeah. are sort of designed to deliver reading instruction. So there's just tremendous urgency in supporting kids and becoming strong readers. And with the subtitle, a literacy action plan from birth to six, I wanted to emphasize that there are things we can do about it. It's not just one of those disasters that people write articles about year after year. It's something <laughs> where we can take, <laughs> we can take action and here's the plan for taking that action. And here are the years to do it, birth to six. And I highlighted that because people, again, don't often make the connection between talking to a baby and their IQ down the road or their vocabulary down the road or their reading comprehension down the road. But we need to because yeah. they're the foundation of their brain functioning and structure is largely in place by two. And then after that, it's just kind of refining the, the circuits and connections over time. Thank you. You know what? I have two questions that popped in my head. And since you're the expert, I'll ask. One is, suppose I'm a parent who thinks I'm not that strong of a reader. How can I help my kid become a better reader? Have you experienced that with any parents uh, that you work with? And like, what would your advice be if I'm like, I'm not that strong of a reader or I don't have an education background. How can me being average Joe Jane do this? My advice or, or message to parents is mm -hmm. that you have everything that you need to foster strong literacy in your child, in their baby, infant, preschool years, because so much of it is about language development. It's about nurturing that bond with the child having those back and forth conversations. So you don't have to 
be the most fluent, strongest reader in the world to talk to your baby Very and to true. notice to notice where they're looking or where they're gesturing. And you don't have to be a strong reader to describe, to give them the words to describe their world. You know, here's the table and here's the pen and mm-hmm. all those sorts of things. And that also another key component of reading is phonological awareness, like kind of awareness of the sounds within words. So like syllables or starting sounds, ending sounds, or all the individual sounds in a word. So the fact that cat has three sounds, ah. Many parents have that ability. And so they may not be able to do a lot of detailed exercises where they have kids blending words and sounds, but they can sing nursery rhymes or they can play word games like Pig Latin, or they can just kind of play with words to raise kids' awareness of sounds. So, you know, if you tell the child cat, and if we take off the sound, what's left, and they say at, and that, you know, those are important skills. And so I have a chapter devoted to that within the book. So there's a lot you can do without being a great reader yourself. And then beyond the vocabulary, all the words you're giving them, those nurturing back and forth exchanges and raising awareness of sounds through song and rhyming and games and wordplay. You can also teach, most parents can teach letters. Even if you're not a great reader, by the time you're an adult, you probably know the name and the look of all 26 letters. And you know what a line is, you know what a dot is, you know what a curve is. (laughs) And you can say, even without a book, you can write the letter A on a piece of paper and say, A is made of three lines, two long lines and one short line. And, you know, trace the the lines with me or A says A, like in Apple. Those are those are major critically important lessons that nearly any parent could give to a child. Okay, here's another question. Do you feel personally in your work that there has been like a greater need or maybe even barriers when working with black parents? So there are there are definitely dramatic reading achievement disparities between black children and white children. But okay. the thing to remember is that those are kind of like average scores. So there are black kids at the highest levels of reading achievement and there are black kids at the lowest levels. Mm-hmm. So it's just that proportionately more at the lower levels than the high levels. And so okay. the reasons for all that are not because they're black, but because of a lot of the the circumstances that go along with being black in America due to systemic (laughs) systemic discrimination and all kinds of issues being in. We know that schools that are predominantly black often have lower funding, less experience and less well-trained teachers, and then also have higher proportions of kids who need greater support. So I think that all parents and every black parent that I've met with wants the best for their child and wants them to be successful. So there are gaps in sort of the information that different parents have about what contributes to success. So information is one piece, and that's kind of what I hope to address in the book. I think a lot of parents, if they knew that it was important for them to teach their child the letters, they would teach them if they know them. (laughs) If they knew it was important to help them hold the pencil, or if they knew the kind of um, challenges that we're facing teachers in schools when kids get to kindergarten. I think a lot of people would do these simple things in everyday life if they knew to do them. So information is one piece. Then there are, even when you have the information, and we talked about this a little earlier in our conversation, if you are so stressed out from poverty 
or unemployment or chronic illness or any other, there can be all kinds of issues that would prevent you from feeling confident enough or energetic enough yeah. <laughs> to do these things if you knew them. So I think inter- I think information is part of it, but then circumstances another another part of it. Thank you. I, I love one I'll say I love how you answered it. I like how you made it very clear and I absolutely agree with you. We aren't on um the lower spectrum of reading because we're black. It's not that we're black and we're somehow inherently less um intelligent so i love that you place that first because i agree and um as we're closing out is there anything else you want to leave us with any tips or a piece of advice whatever you want to give i just want to encourage parents that you already just by virtue of having a voice and loving your child you already have major qualifications to do this early literacy work and if you read the book or listen to the audiobook or follow me on Instagram at, at Maya Smarty or go to my website, mayasmart.com. I have a resources section and book list and literacy activities. If you learn these things or just become aware of them, you can 100% do what your child needs. So I just want to encourage parents, like you can do it. <laughs> you already have um, enough to support your child and it's not all on you. Like schools, libraries, mm-hmm. your pediatrician, other members of your village, so to speak, can support you in doing this. So don't feel like you have to do everything on your own. Okay. And that when you encounter um, challenges and feel like your child needs something you can't provide, maybe they get to school, you've done all you can, and they're still struggling, and you think they may have a hearing issue or a speech issue or a learning disability mm-hmm. or some other kind of challenge. When you get to those points when you need more support, um, advocate for it. Yeah. And know that, again, there should be support for you, your family, your child within your school, within your community. And so it's not you can do a lot, but it's not all on you. And then finally, there are um, policies that need to be implemented within our society to better support parents. So things like paid parental leave so people can be home with their kids, (laughs) you know affordable early childhood education. And so mm-hmm. as a parent who's experiencing um, just the the challenges of trying to raise a child in this society, you can be a voice for change. You can vote. You can advocate for some of these larger scale things that would really help parents. So do all that you can, know that you need help and advocate for change. I thank you. I, my next thing was to say, let us know where we can follow you. But you told us and I will make sure to link all of your information in the podcast show notes. Everybody out in listener land, be sure to get Maya's book. I will also place a link there. And thank you. I will talk to y'all next week. Bye bye. Thanks, Maya. Thank you.